Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with Monkey Tennis. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis? Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Dan! Monkey tennis? Little pierce my foot on his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Oh. Monkey tennis? Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmunds is a total wazzer of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. I said, who the hell is that? This is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hello everyone and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast where we will now attempt to go all the way through Alan's From the Oast House Series 2. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Mmm, books. Nick Older. Mmm, books. And Tom Stab. Mmm, books. <laughs> <laughs> Is he orgasming so, then? When he does yeah, that. He does that books. Like <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> lovely way to, just, just a lovely way to start the show. Uh, start with Alum's jizz. Anyway. So, uh, just to remind uh, listeners of the format of this series, we will be looking at two episodes of Alan's own podcast, From the Oast House, in each episode of Monkey Tennis. We'll also be kicking off each episode with a little look at some of the uh, promo that's been going on around um, Alan's podcast series. He's been cropping up in all sorts of unexpected places, both Alan and Steve Coogan, uh, to promote this. So uh, we thought we'd take a little dive into some of that, uh, starting this week with uh, Mr. Tom Stab on LinkedIn. 
So yes, obviously in the first series we spoke about how Alan was already on LinkedIn and one of the nice little things that I loved about that was if you did request a connection with Alan, he did accept. So I don't know how many of you out there have got Alan as a connection on on LinkedIn. Um, On the day that the podcast went out, went live on Audible, the 22nd of September, a a Instagram post, a LinkedIn post called How to Make Professional Connections went out, authored by Alan Partridge. One of the things I like about Alan's uh, LinkedIn profile is that obviously you, you can, when on LinkedIn, you can put a little bit of a description of what you are, what your job role is. Uh, Alan has one, two, three, four, five things listed that his job role is, uh, job roles are, and it's broadcaster, newscaster, sportscaster, thoughtcaster, and podcaster. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's good now, stuff. Now, I mean, technically, what, four out of five of those are actual jobs uh, and are actual professions. Um, Thoughtcaster, don't really know what uh, what that is, but... Um, I mean, it's yeah, not a real anyway. thing, but that does feel very apt for LinkedIn. Yes, yeah, it does, it does. And... Um, as with the first series, there's obviously it's quite a long sort of blog post, if you will. Um, so we'll obviously post this on our socials for when um, uh, people can sort of go away in their own time and, and, and read the whole thing. But I'll just read the, read the opening paragraph, which I really, really like. A lot of people are surprised to hear I'm a keen advocate of LinkedIn. I'm seen very much as a people person with good reason. When it comes to professional interaction, I like to do it man to man, a handshake after a squash game. A clinked pint glass in a gastropub. Backslaps and big laughs through mouthfuls of steak and wine. To me, that's business. Um, so yeah, basically this is an article on, on how to make uh, professional connections sort of person to person, which is exactly what LinkedIn isn't. Um, so it kind of goes against the whole point. Um, but yeah, have a read in your <laughs> have a read in your old t- in your own time. It is quite long, but and obviously it is quite a uh, it's a promotional piece for the podcast ultimately. But he does he does put down uh, sort of uh, and we'll talk about another one in the next episode. His sort of list uh, of uh, his guide to making connections if you're a LinkedIn lo- user, and uh, yeah, basically all of them are kind of about uh, meeting people in person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the fact that he obviously he does prefer that yeah like he says the the tactile backslapping old boys club network mm. to uh, to LinkedIn but I don't think I think it is actually a bit it's not a surprise that he's he's a LinkedIn person of all the social networks that feels like yeah. the one where you know Alan would be trying to climb the greasy pole uh, as quickly as possible um, so shall we get into the meat of uh, from the Oast House series two I think we it's should. O- it's on Audible, obviously, as you will have heard from our, our many adverts. So please do go and have a listen to the original before you hear us dissect it. Um, but we'll presume that you've done that and come back and are ready to begin with episode one, Rekindlings. Uh, Nick, do you have the synopsis for this one? A chance encounter with a local radio exec offers Alan hope of a professional revival. It kind of sounds like a um, something you get out of a fortune cookie (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean you you will have a chance encounter with a local radio executive (laughs) in your future very specific very specific fortune cookies cookies um so yeah it's probably worth mentioning that this uh from the oast house as you might expect does follow directly on from the events of this time um so we'll get into a little bit of uh where we're at in terms of alan's situation romantically career-wise etc but as you can tell from the uh, from the synopsis, um, he's looking for something of a, uh, a of, of a phoenix like recovery uh, of sorts um, from his situation. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it's quite interesting. So th- this list of episode synops- synopsis was published on the British Comedy Guide. And I have a feeling with series one, they didn't do that. So I, I think, again, it, it's almost like a bit of bonus promo where you can get a bit of a snapshot of kind of what's going to happen in this series, which I think is perhaps quite a deliberate choice to kind of entice people in a little bit. Um, but but also what I thought was interesting, to I think there, there's much a debate to be had whether are these episodes or are these chapters? I think as Audible would have it, they're calling them chapters because in the Audible system, I think that's probably how it all works because it's audiobooks. I think in reality, these are just episodes, aren't they? Let's be honest, it's a podcast, it's an episode, it's not a chapter. Um, as we'll get onto as well, the synopses as we go through them, some of them feel very much like they've been written by a third party, some of them very clearly written by Alan himself, uh, which we'll, we'll probably get onto in the next episode. Much like every time we're in a gap between series, people have been writing in to demand a second series of Oast House, a feeling that we've very, you know, we can relate to that feeling of people demanding a new series of a podcast, I think. Uh, 12 people in Alan's case, although some debate about how many of them are real. Uh, he claims <laughs> he claims only one, Ted Big, is made up, but I'm willing to bet that Beera Bishop, Nikki Malone, and Rabbi Addy, Addy Schwartz all potentially <laughs> what about, fake. What about Trish Trotter? Trish Trotter is another one, yep. There are 12 in total, I think. And and Alvin and Eddie Sambora, Tony Fathom. Yeah, I, I don't think any of these names are real either. But for, for some reason, for some reason, Tony Fathom amused me the most. I don't know why that just grabbed me. But yeah, Tobias Saddleback, yeah. Mickey Malone, Ted Big, Tony Fathom, Father Gregory Beeston. That's not even all. D- Dutty yeah, Garcia. It, 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 it's quite a, quite a, quite a fun opening gag where it's just like this is just a silly list of names. It grabs you by the jaffers. Um, but I, I thought then then the follow up gag about Rabbi Addy Schwartz being real and saying one of the few Jews that listens to the podcast, which is strange as I loathe anti-Semitism. I thought that felt like a bit of a weird like second gag, like we're in block the, fir- the first or second minute of the podcast. It feels like quite kind of thorny ground to go straight into, doesn't the, the it? Only, this is a stretch, but the only reason I can think of that they do- mm. d- d- dove, divin, dove straight into that is um, you'll remember we were talking on a recent episode about the new head of Baby Cow mulling over ways that Alan might do something in America. They they make quite a big deal yep. about the fact that Rabbi Ali Schwartz lives 3,000 miles away um, and I wonder if they're setting this up as a sort of future meeting of minds um, or it's it's they're just starting... Because you do notice sometimes with the Gibbons writing they'll have a project that's maybe two Alan projects away, but they'll start dropping mm-hmm. the seeds now so that it feels like something natural by the time it actually comes around. Yeah, but then also on the flip side of that, within about two minutes, he's also giving a kicking to China. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Coronavirus yeah. 19, whether you believed it started in an evil lab in China or a bat meat market in China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just thought it's, it's interesting. You know, you, you start off with a very silly throwaway name-based gag and then... Then you've got gags based around religion, which I think is always a bit of an interesting area. But um, yeah, t- Tom, did you know uh, was when he's talking about China and basically in that whole section, we then, we then backed into the kind of odd pronunciations that seem to litter the Oast House. So podcasting is more like podcasting sometimes. And I think when he says coronavirus, it's coronavirus. Yeah, it's also co- yeah. corona- so many coronavirus 19, not COVID-19, not coronavirus, coronavirus 19. Um, I enjoy that he talks about the, in the world of podcasting, he's a big deal. But he also thinks that the whole thing started in 2020. 
Yeah, in the world of podcasting, I matter. Back in 2020, people hadn't really heard of podcasting. Imagine having the audacity to think that you've invented podcasting. I mean, we invented <laughs> imagine, it, didn't we? Imagine, who would think that? He, uh, I did like as well his kind of like um, grand return. He says like, I'm back. Like inflation, not a good thing. Mullets, not back. And polo necks, were they ever good? And fracking, also not good. But the list of things that he's kind of aligned himself with are all basically bad, with the exception of polo shirts, which are pretty neutral. I, th- I think the point about a fracking as well just showed, and I think this is something we can discuss a bit later down the line in terms of when this, the timeline of when this was written, recorded and delivered to Audible. So him talking about a fracking being back, if you think that was quite a big part of uh, Liz Truss's uh, leadership agenda, and she assumed the office of PM on the 6th of September, I, I think, we, as far as we understand it, I think the final, uh, this final series was delivered to Audible on the 9th of September. We can talk a bit about that, uh, perhaps in the wrap up in terms of how, how we know all about that. But yeah, so, you know, I, I think there's there's some very deliberate topical writing, which has uh, been able to be woven into this. And perhaps, I don't know, is that the same for when they did series one? Maybe not. Maybe series one, they had to kind of do a bit more upfront to kind of prove that it worked. Whereas uh, like most Partridge projects that we know of, this was written quite close to the uh the final delivery that they had to do so so yeah they were able to get a fracking gag in which you know even a couple of months before probably wouldn't have been relevant um and also they along with them talking about all the things that are back they also talk about he also refers to things that are over um but chooses betamax which to be fair that's that is over but also solar panels (laughs) which frankly frankly in the current situation have never been more popular yeah but if well if liz truss had her way then they would be over so Exactly. Okay. It's a fair point. Did, did you guys also note he does the posh Guardian journalist shortening their names gag, which was also used in this time? Yeah. The Tim, Tom, Dan and Ben or whatever. Also it is. enjoyed yeah. his stab at true crime podcast saying that basically all the decent ones are done now. It's just people going after the minor crimes. <laughs> yeah, the, the minor crime being just three women strangled in Scotland. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's, yeah. that's the minor crime now. <laughs> it's minor. It's only three. Um, there's a fun bit after this where, well, first he's boasting about his car. Um, there's quite a lot of car chat in this series, I found. Um, and then it becomes very clear that he is quoting T.S. Eliot, but doesn't know if T.S. Eliot is male or female. So just keeps saying, wise words, T.S., yeah. wise words. Yeah. <laughs> he or she. He has yeah. no idea what the T.S. stands for. Um, there's also a bit of a reference to his dad. We've obviously, he's obviously mined his dad for content before, most notably in Nomad. Um, describes his dad as being a dick, uh, but plans to forgive him next year. And I thought, if you're planning to forgive him in the following year, that can only be for, for one reason, and that's to generate content, surely. So I, want, yeah, I wonder exactly. if that will come back in future Partridge Law, that he's sort of forgiving his dad very publicly in order to have a TV show about it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's actually quite weird when you think about the part of the point of nomad was to to honor a dead dad so why would any element of forgiveness not have been wrapped up within that so yeah that's interesting again is that is that the gibbons planting another seed to something perhaps or quite funny that he's gone all the way through nomad and still hasn't actually forgiven his dad no forgiveness Yeah. yeah that's that's also quite a good point um have we had the aha but not the catchphrase by this point? I, I think it co- yeah, comes way. now around yeah. around the bombshell that he is, well, or, or the knowledge that he's no longer at North Norfolk Digital. 
Well, I mean, I think, didn't we kind of assumed... No, so we knew... Right, actually, we, we can get this right. So we knew in Oast House Series 1 that he was no longer at North Norfolk Digital because uh, we'll get into this. Uh, there was a shoving incident, which I'm sure we can talk about uh, in a bit more depth uh, later on. Um, so we knew he wasn't at North Norfolk Digital, but basically what we do learn here is he isn't on the radio at all and he is no longer on TV, which I think is a fair assumption based on how this time Series 2 ended and also... As we've discussed on the podcast previously, I think in a Gibbons interview, they did say that he was no longer doing so this they, time. So, he, so he's not on radio or TV no, And both as a result of violence, outbursts of violence on his part, very much uh, very much yeah. Coogan and the writers trying to uh, bring home a Jeremy Clarkson-style exit, I think. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, so they talk briefly about his history at hospital radio. Does anyone have a note of the uh, the main things that he did to fill his shows? <laughs> Well, I did. I did enjoy that um, his hospital radio stint seemed to be seemed to be him reviewing the yep. meals. I can only imagine what a hospital radio would sound like if that was the output and uh, sharing his medical views, which we obviously do get a little bit more detail on in terms of uh, his progressive thoughts within the medical world that uh, ultimately led to him also being uh, told to leave uh, from hospital radio as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I can cover that. So Alan thinks that grey-haired people were twice as likely to die. Uh, he he obviously pointed this out, but was ignored by the medical professionals. So he wrote a paper, uh, not a medical paper, a personal paper uh, entitled "Hair Color Mortality Correlation Syndrome: Time to Act," <laughs> and was soon asked. I love the addition of "time to act" in that title as well. That's is it at this point that Go we on. get our first advert of the of the series? What? Uh, uh, yes, this is this is a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I just just to set the scene with this, I uh, listened to this episode uh, in in bed uh, as I was trying to go to sleep, and this thing uh, came on, and I was genuinely just laughing out loud. I was like, I can't listen, I can't listen to this going to sleep. It, it's too funny, and this is brilliant. That's actually reminded me of of a point I wanted to make at the very top. Um, I don't know about you guys, but hearing that the the Oast House theme tune is back for series two, same as it was for series one. I've grown to hate that over time. I think to begin with, I was like, oh, this is quite good. It's quite catchy, quite memorable. But I just find it I agree. actually to becomes be honest, quite... I do really agree. Yeah, it's it becomes tedious. quite jarring when you... If you're listening to more than one episode in a row, uh, there is that side to it. But also, if you do... Because I, I, I mean, Nick, I think you listen to quite a lot of kind of audio stuff when you go to sleep. I don't normally do that. But if I ever try doing that with this, I find if the theme tune comes on, it's just it's too loud and it's just too in the mix above everything else. And it's really annoying. Yeah, it is starting to grate. But I mean, at least thankfully, they have gone to some effort to include some new stings in the podcast, which we'll mm. sure we'll talk about. Um, two things about this Partridge Players advert. So effectively, it's uh, it's Alan and his playmates putting on Bohemian Rhapsody for the stage. The two things I enjoyed most, I think, about this. One is that we're inhabiting a world now where Daniel Bedingfield could play Freddie Mercury. <laughs> But I think the main one is that to put Bohemian Rhapsody on the stage completely ignores the fact that We Will Rock You has existed for yes. nigh on 15, yes. 20 years. So, yeah, the idea that Alan's yeah. like, do you know what? I can't believe no one's ever done this. I mean, I, I, I wonder whether, I mean, that, that joke, I guess, cuts a few different ways. It's either Alan has no idea that it exists or obviously uh, there's no way that he'd get the right. So he's having to make his own kind of two bit version of it. Um I also enjoyed that it's it's the story of Queen from inception to Live Aid. So it's actually only the story of Queen across, yeah. uh, like, tw- well, no, actually, Queen formed in 1970. It, so it's the story of Queen from 1970 to 
1985, I think, 85 or 86. But then obviously Queen as a band actually still exists now. So, you know, there's actually, there's only one small slice of their to, career. To be, to be, that is the film though, to that's be fair. That's the point. That, it, it, it is based yeah. on Oh, okay, film. is that where the film ends? Right, fine. Okay. Yeah, that is where the film so, ends. The, the Rhapsody of yes, Bohemia yeah. ends there. So basically that, that, isn't, that isn't a bonus gag, unfortunately then. Um, but I, I would like to see Alan performing as Brian May. I wondered if anybody could perhaps mock that up for us. Alan with a bigger, wispier cloud of hair would be good. <laughs> could be Brian May. I also like, we, we've obviously touched on Daniel Beddingfield, but I like that he's got an introducing credit as if he's breaking new talents. <laughs> that, it, when the reality is Daniel Beddingfield, I'm assuming is probably, I don't know what he's doing now. Maybe we should do a Beddingfield deep dive. Um, but I, yeah, it, it's a nice kind of uh, introduction credit. I do have some quick Beddingfield facts if you want them. I like. Okay, D- you've got Daniel, to get through this. Come on, Daniel Bedding facts. <laughs> Daniel Bedding facts. Hey, facts about Daniel. We're back. Um, I would also we say are I could genuinely imagine him being in a production like this. This actually yeah. seems quite plausible. Um, all right, yes. uh, quick Daniel Bedding facts. Um, he has one one million four hundred seventy-seven thousand monthly listeners on spotify if you're not the one is his biggest track with over 134 million plays uh unfortunately though for daniel his sister natasha is arguably far more successful she has nearly five and a half million monthly listeners on spotify and her biggest track uh unwritten has uh no unwritten is her biggest track she she basically Um, got massive in america she really uh she really went massive over there two more quick facts Beddingfield last released music in 2013, so he's been absent from the musical landscape for quite a long time. Uh, and in February 2016, Beddingfield appeared in the West End musical The War of the Worlds as the artillery man. Uh, did anyone else catch the kind of um, sort of whispered uh, offer that uh, Alan is uh, uh, putting out there? Which what? I didn't hear the first time I listened to <laughs> I don't think I did. This is gay repeat men, listen. That gay men get in free. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's quite it's quite low in it's quite low in the sound mix, um, but if you go back and listen to it, you can hear Alan just say in the uh, over the kind of like the music as it fades out, "Game on, getting free." Um, but yeah, no, I didn't hear that at all. Yeah, Brilliant. It's nice. <laughs> um, so I believe now we're talking a bit about Alan's uh, rustiness in terms of his his disc jockeying skills having gone off the boil a little bit. Is that right? Um, he's he yeah, he's yeah. talking about uh, that like pecs turned to tits, his skills have withered. <laughs> I just enjoy that um, he cleans his headphones with um, KFC lemony wet wipes, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing I took from this. Also, more of these kind of mangled words, like glistening. Did anyone pick up on this? He says oh, there, is, there are so many of these across the across the series. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's a small joke that, that they've really kind of built out in this because, like you say, there's so many mistakes yeah, in they're, terms they're, of mispronunciations. And or like words in the wrong order yeah. as well. Quite a lot. Yeah, and, and things that are kind of like worth pulling out and, and some that are so small and insignificant, but they really do now pepper uh, his kind of like prose, hmm. just these either mangled words, mispronunciations, getting things in the wrong order. <laughs> it is good, but there's almost too many to list. It's words and phrases in the Nesquilk family, isn't it? Draclia's house. Yeah. So that's where it came from originally. <laughs> um, I think this is the first Grant Shapps reference of yes. <laughs> what is bound to be many across it's the series. It's a Shapps heavy series. Um, is this where he says, Grant Shapps says, I'm the most honest man he knows? Which yeah. I thought was a fantastic dig at the whole government, just with one small line there. Very nicely done. Uh, I think we should keep a running total of how many mentions of uh, Schnapsy we get this series. 
Chaps watch. Okay, one. it's one. one. Um, <laughs> Snaps watch. He's then uh, he's then talking about all the different ways he could introduce the police, isn't he? Uh, yeah, f- I really enjoyed this. My, yeah, my favourite option was uh, Paul. Swallow your SIM card. It's the police. Yeah, um, and the end has to <laughs> follow that up. Favorite. Then has to follow that up by the fact that his friend Paul actually was arrested, and there's a very long story about how he what he sent texts to a 15 year old, but then. Alan sort of mitigates yeah. that by saying, but it was a boy, a rugby player with a beard. So it's it's basically not that bad in Alan's eyes. Yeah. But, but he, sh- he, he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> You've really got to query the company that Alan keeps. I think there are quite a few instances, uh, probably not just within this Ozal series, where you learn about some of the dodgy practices a lot of his so-called friends <laughs> seem to be up to. It's quite concerning. Um, uh, is it time to fast forward a couple of weeks later where Alan's at the uh, opening of a new building development? It's time, Previously it, a care it's home. time to finger sliders next to Guy Welsh. Yeah. yeah. Who? Uh, I did like as well that um, he referred to the people that stayed in the care home as, as inmates. I, I also enjoyed that. <laughs> is it Welsh or Winch? I've got Winch down here. Oh, I, I think it's Winch. Is it Winch. I've got Winch. Okay. Um, yeah, who is obviously the director of brand and marketing, responsible for all of the rebrands of the last ten years. It doesn't take uh, someone working in it doesn't take someone working in branding, but as I do, let me tell you, if you've done this many rebrands in ten years, you are a failure at your job. Um, can I? I've got. I've. I. I mean, it's took quite a long time to get it down. I've got the whole list if I can run you through this because I've also, I've, I've also chunked down the stats on how good this is. Absolutely, do it. <laughs> All right, let's see if I can do this without any fuck-ups. Probably not. Jed, get ready on the edit button. Okay, you've got North Norfolk Digital, Shape, North Norfolk Digital again, North Norfolk Extra, North Norfolk Live, Norfolk Live, Snap, Snap Digital, Kick, Kick Digital, Easy, Easy Digital, Breezy, Breezy Digital, Keep It Breezy, Keep It Norfolk, Keep It 80s, Nothing But 80s, <laughs> Nothing But 80s Hits, 80s Hits Radio, 80s Hits Digital, Hits Digital, Hits Digital Extra, HD Extra, Hits Extra, Hits Radio, North Norfolk Hits Radio, North Norfolk Hits Digital, North Norfolk Digital, Shape, North Norfolk Digital again. Now, that is 32 names, so if he's been responsible for all of those in 10 years, that's a rebrand every three months and 22 days. <laughs> <laughs> also really enjoyed that they, they've been through the name shape three times i think and north north of digital four in that <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i, I think i think the north north of digital to shape gag like back in 2013 with alpha papa that was a bit of a comment i guess on the changing landscape of local radio right so you had lots of small stations being brought up and absorbed by like, kind of larger national brands but I, what I really like about th- this whole list here is it's adding a bit more of an up-to-date observation about the explosion of kind of decades-based hits radio stations um, as offshoots of bigger bigger brands. I mean, Absolute Radio, we're looking at you, basically. What I like about this is that, obviously, Alan reels all of, all of those names. What did you say? There was 32. 32, yeah. And then, by the, and then when he finishes reading it out, Alan says, he's a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, Alan thinks that all of re- these rebrands are a good thing. Yeah. I um, also really like that it's... Uh, a bit of a comment on the uh, there was a phase where all radio stations had to have the description of the music in the name of the station so it had to be hits or mm. easy or breezy or you know like there was a period where yeah people were considered like to not have the attention span to be able to associate like a word like shape with the music that that radio station played uh, just a quick step back. I did also enjoy that when uh, Alan mentions about fingering sliders next to Guy Winch, uh, tells him what job he does. He, he describes him as the Mr. Big Balls of commercial radio. Uh, it's at this point that we get the uh, Olive Stone, Oliver Stone uh, gag, which yep. I thought was was incredibly well observed. And again, 
from a narrative perspective, plays into this idea that Alan thinks he can do stand-up, even though he's fumbled the joke. But as a fumbled mm. joke, I thought it was very um, funny. So the whole thing, I thought, worked, worked on And so levels. did Alan's pre-recorded audience, because you get the first bit yes. of canned, also, canned also laughter great. of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so and I'm, the hard stop on that as well. <laughs> so I would say I found that gag a little bit weird, because one, you've got the playing in the canned laughter, which isn't really commented on properly and doesn't happen again. So that's like a bit of a weird side. Is that like Alan's just got himself a road desk with the buttons you can play the sound effects in on. Um, and also, it would have been a perfect opportunity for him to say, got to try stand-up, yeah. but he actually doesn't yeah. say it off the back of this. I was baffled. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, know, I don't know why that is, but I thought just as a, as a, as a piece of joke writing from the Gibbons, it, it was funny watching him fumble the joke. But yeah, the, I don't know why they haven't been consistent in terms of got to do stand-up, because he obviously he does make that point kind of as, as we... That happens several times throughout the series, yeah. 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 Um, but the canned laughter doesn't happen again, which I think is for the best. But it just seems, obviously, it'll, for, for whatever reason, it will be a deliberate choice that that he doesn't comment on that as a character because he could say, oh, I'm just trying out like a new sound effects thing or give some kind of explanation to to him having a sound effect reaction. But there is no explanation. I mean, the only thing is maybe... Um, uh, is it Nate, uh, Nathan, who he talks about later on in the podcast, who he's befriended, befriended um, kind of working together on music and sound effects and kind of jingle recording. But again, that doesn't really tie in with playing in canned laughter either. So it's just a, a bit of an anomaly, I think. It's quite a weird one. Yeah. Um, I don't know about anyone else, but I really enjoy bits like the next part where he's basically going through the current North Norfolk Digital lineup because um, it gives us... A little bit of uh, a little bit of humour around characters we already know, and it also gives us. I, I just love getting a narrative update on some of the people he's been in. They've been in the Partridge World over the years. So you've still got Wally Banter, um, who's who's now uh, I think been promoted to a better slot by doing uh, phone-ins where you guess the weight of a dinner lady, um, <laughs> which might be offensive to a dinner lady. Yep. Um, you've got Mid Morning with Gareth gavin evans who obviously alan's going to take take against because he's got his old slot um mm-hmm. says that he's properly welsh too welsh for daytime um <laughs> and then uh, and then our old favorite uh, from alpha papa reflections with pat farrell i love the idea that pat has, <laughs> pat has basically been toting a gun around this radio station but still hasn't managed to lose a show um but cru- crucially does still go on about his dead wife which he was doing a lot of in alpha papa as well also, shouldn't Pat Farrell still be in prison at this point? Um, I, I, I did some very rudimentary uh, Google research, and I think he should have been imprisoned for minimum ten years. Uh, you should get well. You should get um, if violence or a firearm was used uh, in uh, kidnap, that would be eight years. And technically, he held several people hostage, kidnapped Alan, stole a vehicle, uh, shot Alan. Um, you know, you've got you've got all these different things. So you think that's ten year stretch minimum, even with good behaviour. Like it's firearm offences. Surely he should still be in prison, and I mean, without even going into why would North Norfolk Digital have him back? I can only think he's been let out early for good broadcasting, or perhaps Will of the Wisp got their crowd down at the Boxy Wheat Sheaf to start a petition. I don't know, yep. but uh, here he is. Um, is it time for the advert for Meal Maker? I just have one more word scramble here when Alan says, and again, I'd, it'd be interesting whether you guys picked up on this one because uh, this is one of the first ones I spotted. Oh, the takedown. He says, he says, as sur- a surgical and brutal takedown as I have ever delivered. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I quite enjoy the meal maker advert, although it did sell quite close to being an actual advert. There's only a few little bits <laughs> yeah. in here that, that let you know that it's it's comedy. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, he said that it's for people who get sulky when meals go wrong. Um, and the instructions, crucially, have been written by someone who had English as a first language. Uh, what what I really liked about this is, I, I think you're right, it sounds exactly like an advert, and, and that in and of itself is quite funny. Um, I like, obviously, the fact that he talks up how um, easy it is, uh, <laughs> but that his came out flatter and browner. And actually, if you look at how long it takes him to do it, it took him double the time <laughs> versus the instructions. But it's easy. So it's taken him double the amount of time. It's easy, and it's flat, and it's brown. <laughs> also, I enjoyed that the key selling point of this are super meat and great big portions <laughs> and also one of the selling points of the instructions as well as being written by someone with english as the first language he felt it necessary to point out that they come with color pictures yeah and it's the tagline is making a meal without making a meal of it but remember it took him double the time to get it done so actually he's had to make a meal out of making a meal out of it and in addition to that uh he would do it next time but he would pop it in a blender and add an egg that sounds like something jed would do <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so out the other side of the advert, he's we find out he's got four thousand heavily framed photos in a safe storage <laughs> d- depot, uh, an analog version of what's on his phone, and he likes to go there and just have a wander around once in a while. See, there, there, I think there's an interesting point here, and, and again, on subsequent re-listens to this series, uh, putting notes together for these recordings, I've, I've noticed that there's a real through line of kind of quite a maudlin Allen. There's a lot about kind of memories and reflection and the sadness that goes along with that. So. When he says that his his friend Ronald, who we hear more from later on in the series, he called it a cathedral of memories, and you and you have Alan talking about his his sadness being there. So we we do have a bit of a maudlin partridge on our hands for this series, I think. Yeah, I was about to say it's full of pathos, isn't it? This whole entire mm, series. Mm. Yeah, we'll get to it. Um, I mean, not least in this section where he describes himself as having laughed, cried, laughed, then stopped, so it was okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I also enjoyed, uh, there's a reference to, to just how many hair products he's got, uh, which is a lot. Um, well, he's trying out every hair product on the market, so all of them. That's <laughs> it. Um, and also there's the incredible bit here where he's rhyming um, all the, the names of all the autobiographies that he's read, but then just throws in seal at the end to sort of break break that <laughs> rhyme. Um, I think there's quite a lilt to this whole this whole series. It's a lot more lyrical, I think, than, than the first series yeah. of Last House. yeah. I've got that as a note. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I really enjoy that. I do. Uh, yeah, I enjoy. There's there's a lot of sort of, I don't know what you would call them language motifs throughout the entire series. Whether it's repeating certain things or like I say these inflect certain inflections and mispronouncing things. So yeah, this one is. Uh, he's reading the, the autobiographies of Ant Middleton, Anne Widdicombe, Ton Hiddleston, Val Singleton, Ken Livingston, Jack Nicholson, Dave Dickinson, Vic Pendleton, and Seal. And uh, there is one unifying note that he adds to that as well. That they're all under 300 pages. Oh, yes, which becomes relevant um, when we move it on does. to the next episode as well, doesn't it? Um, great. So we're now introduced to Nathan Griggs, who goes on to play a sort of minor role in this series. Something of a psychic Simon that we never really get to hear. Um, he was in a band called Barabbas Is My Name. Um, but he now does jingles and loves Slade. Um, so uh, he's been sort of, uh, what picked up i guess by alan to uh, provide musical accompaniment and uh, jingly bits for oast house and beyond in um in in the list of names right at the top of the episode uh, alan mentions fliss griggs and this is nathan griggs so is are those names at the top Ooh. of the show real is nathan real but or is he just is it just a coincidence that they both got the surname griggs uh i, th- I think we know i think in the apu nathan is real and i think uh, Alan, well, again, I, th- I think we get to this in a later episode. Uh, he's, if that is potentially his mother, perhaps, then uh, 
Alan is aware of his mother because he wants to date her. Yes, Again, we'll yes, get into that. Yes. Um, I was going to say, Adam, I'm going to have to correct you. Unless if I've got this damn wrong, I think the band name is My Name is Barabbas because if we don't if we don't rectify that, someone else will email. Oh, well, we'll I've got we'll, the wrong we, way around. I've got I've got. Barabbas I've also is got my Barabbas is my name. Uh-oh. Interesting. I think Either Tom... way, we're getting complaints Oops. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of Someone's the it's one wrong. of those two. Um, it's probably the one that three guys, of us have got. <laughs> did you guys? Pick, yeah, yeah, it's probably that one. <laughs> did you guys pick out that uh, Barabbas has been mentioned in Mid Morning Matters uh, this time, and also Bonus Coogan in Twenty Four Hour Party People as well? Coogan loves a Barabbas mention. Nice, good spot. Uh, no. Um, so, is it time to pretend it's nineteen fifty nine and we can say whatever the fuck we like? <laughs> in, in in a Morris Oxford. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> what are they saying that can't be said out in, you know, on a on a lovely rectory or a, in a field? Why does it have to be said in a car? Um, about the Morris Oxford as well, um, because I, I've read uh, Steve Coogan's autobiography, uh, Easily Distracted. The Morris Oxford was the uh, car that his father had in his childhood. And I, th- I think Coogan actually owns that car now. I, I'm pretty sure when he was on Sunday brunch earlier this year, um, he was talking about having that car as well. So, again, more bonus Coogan facts. Um, this, I guess, is teeing up a section reminding us why he's uh, no longer on North Norfolk Digital, but also just touching generally on sort of, I guess, broadly on cancel culture and on the sort of subjects that Alan is at least smart enough to know he needs to tiptoe around. So um, in terms of North Norfolk Digital, he says, you know, there was a man shoved, uh, there was a heart attack. Um, but but sort of why was that the final kaplunk straw? Um, he says uh, on, on someone who uh, doesn't he essentially say the moral of the story there was to you, you have to be careful around people who are, have high cholesterol. <laughs> um, he doesn't feel he's responsible for the heart attack because it was only a shove that he did, uh, whereas the man's been eating unhealthily for years. Yeah, in, in Oast House Series 1, I went back and I, th- I think he describes the incident in that series as uh, radio pr- about leaving under a cloud radio producers who scream in my face and then grab their arm and then sit down on a chair and then everyone gathers around them so we never got the full detail until now that it was a heart attack um but he does say a very minor heart attack so can we assume that this person is still alive it's not another death at the hands of alan (laughs) i thought so yeah he'd basically be a serial killer at this point if it was (laughs) well he does use the phrase final kaplunk straw you know final Mm. Is he alive? Is he dead? I think I think we he means sure. it was the final straw that caused the heart, attack, the heart attack rather yeah, yeah, than the death. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, he says that he's then uh, there's it's tiptoeing around Israel and identity politics here. He says uh, you can't speak like that around one of the new types of people, which I thought was uh, really <laughs> that's the first time I've ever heard uh, sort of uh, I guess people on, uh, on uh, non-binary people or trans people described in that way uh, by by Alan. Um, <laughs> There's also a bit of a Dan callback here, I think. He describes yeah. someone as a, as a fantastic yeah. man. There's a bit of shouting to a Dan, uh, followed by... Three times. Fo- yeah, followed by, great, he saw me, rather than 15 shouts of Dan across the <laughs> car park in I'm Anna Partridge, uh, followed by, I didn't hit. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So what did you guys make of that? The fact that the Dan gag kind of makes a reappearance? I felt like it was fan service too far, mm. personally. I thought it was a bit unnecessary and a bit, it kind of took you out of the idea that this is supposed to be real. I mean, I'd agree, but it, oh, it, it, almost, it almost felt like a bit of a... Hey. A bit of such a deliberate fan service. It was a bit like a fuck you. Do you know what I mean? It's been like, oh, this is what you all want, isn't it? Here you go, have some Dan's, and now like let us get on with doing whatever it is we want to do with this series. I, I mean, that's reading a hell of a lot into it, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's such a weird thing to put in. Otherwise, I, I can only think it's them kind of going a bit like we're basically poking fun at the fan base for kind of being hung up on quotes that are like yeah. from from 20 year old material it's not dissimilar to how they tease yeah. michael as well isn't it mm. Mm. but it starts isn't it so you get a, you get a dan i think he shouts it like you say he does it three times he, he he starts the joke but then i think it's done long enough that you'll like you say fans might think oh god he's gonna do it and then it's sort of finished so quickly that like you say, it's a bit of a no. We're not. We're not going to. So I don't know if I don't know if I'd necessarily call it fan servicing. I think it's more of a. And I'm not sure it's quite a fan fuck you, but it's something, something in, the in the middle, middle of a. Something in it's, the middle. It's, some, yeah. it's somewhere in the middle. You want yeah. something in the middle. Um, so yeah, <laughs> Dan claimed to be 12 people as part of a benefit scam uh, and was in prison for half the 90s. I like. I like that because it was 12 people he was described as the apostle swindler. Um, yeah. Thought that was a bit, <laughs> nice bit of fun. Uh, I, I really enjoyed where, um, you know, Alan's talking about how he's fallen out with North Norfolk Digital, but the road to peace sees him liking uh, 12 of their tweets and they now follow him on Instagram, that there's some kind of like social media <laughs> route to peace that can be uh, that can be trodden. And the idea that there's like, a, yeah, that the person who could give Alan his show back is also the same person running the North Norfolk <laughs> Digital <laughs> Instagram channel seems unlikely. Uh, I, I think do we get the day, the story of Dave Clifton uh, hiring a sports car next because that was one of my favourite moments of this. I think Alan describing that really enjoyed um, talking about. So he talks about uh, Dave Clifton hired a sports car, but he couldn't open the Goldwing doors in the North Norfolk Digital car park. Uh, so they're all in the car park looking at him. Dave is then pretending to look for something in the glove box, reversed out, drove off, giving them the finger. That just, I can really visualise that. That really made me laugh so much. It's the switch, it's the switch from him sort of trying to style it out to them, yeah. to them with the finger, like... admitting the, the game's been up all along. Yeah. That I really love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Coupled with the fact that you do, you do also get the sort of semi-bombshell that Dave is still there at the station as well. Yeah. Um, and I also enjoyed, um, obviously, uh, Alan's lurking in the car park and, uh, and, and is it Terry or Trevor? I don't think I don't think Alan knows. That's right. Alan gets no, it wrong, he doesn't, doesn't he? Yeah. Comes over the security guard to check on him, and I thought this is a really uh, a, a sort of 
a point in the sand of of how things have changed in that now the security guard is coming over to check on him and kick him out of the car park the security guard that used to be michael as appointed by alan is now mm. is now the person removing him from the premises good point yeah I, I really like what they do here as well, and they've they've used this to to great effect throughout the Oast House. But where you can hear a conversation taking place, but then a VO of Alan coming over the top comes in, where he tells you what what's happened. Where ultimately, as a listener, you're kind of like, well, is he telling the truth? We we don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I like that kind of fade down where you can just about hear it in the mix, and and Alan kind of uh, coming in to tell you uh, how the rest of it played out. Uh, a couple of points in this bit. I think the security guard. I'm pretty sure that's Dan Skinner playing that role. Uh, oh, I've had in my notes. So I thought it sounded like a Gibbons, but oh, well, right. no. I th- I think I think the security guard is Dan Skinner. I think it might be a Gibbons uh, on the uh, walkie-talkie. Oh yes, the, yes, yes. The yes. over the over over protocol gag. Yeah, yeah, That sounded like a Gibbons brother to me, and I think it's Dan Skinner, the security guard before. Nice. Uh, which would make sense because he's got previous uh, in Gibbons projects um he was in the witchfinder and has he ever been in partridge before dan skinner yeah, he, he was, was in, in the chemsex thing wasn't he, he was oh the, of course yeah, he was. yeah yeah he's yeah, the guy so he... who gets talking to at the uh at the house party so he's a recent uh insert into the uh, apu um i also thought just generally uh, kind of uh, thoughts on oast house by at the end of this first episode i'm enjoying it but i'm enjoying it like i enjoyed witchfinder in that it's it's amusing it's well put together i'm not rolling around laughing but i'm really enjoying the sort of the 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 craft of it if you like yeah i think yeah. i i seem to remember i seem to remo- remember oast house series one starting really really strongly and you know not to not to spoil anything but there are uh, there are stronger episodes in this series than this episode i think i don't think this series starts i don't think it's just talking about this episode i don't think this episode starts as uh, sorry this season starts as strongly as the first one did i think this episode is solid i don't think it is a brilliant 10 on 10 opening to the series like last one was yeah i I think i'd agree with that but i I guess what this episode does do quite well is it brings you up to date in terms of where alan's at career-wise it gives you a grounding so because i think otherwise um you might kind of spend a lot of time listening to the first few episodes going well why is alan not on north norfolk digital why is alan not talking about being on this yeah, time so i think it kind of like it gets those questions done and dealt with out of the way um i also wanted to say i do really like the way this episode ends uh because it ends with uh, alan graham wilford and dave clifton going for a curry now that's something i'd have loved to have heard that on the podcast or, or I'd, I'd really love to hear uh you know like dave clifton uh make an appearance on the podcast i could really imagine you've had alan and dave like always trying to pretend to get on and be friends for the benefit of the podcast recording i think that could be quite a fun thing for them to explore i mean it, spoiler alert for this series that doesn't happen uh, but I, again it's fan projection i i think that could be a great thing to get to and just to wrap up the coverage of this first episode and we'll keep a total of the we'll keep a, a, a running uh, log of this uh, the first episode absolutely none of it takes place within the oast house <laughs> great let's so see if next week does Brilliant. Can we, so we, should, we need a running tally. How many times is he in the Oast House and how many mentions of Grant Shapps? Yeah. Snapsy. Yeah. Snapsy. Um, so that was episode one, Rekindlings. Now on to episode two, Novel. I believe Tom Dark has the synopsis for this chapter. I do indeed. Keen to open up new revenue streams and inspired by a friendly proctologist, Alan has decided to write a novel. Now... Straight off the bat, is this the first time Alan's written a novel? 
I know he's uh, he's written screenplays. He's written autobiographies. There's 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 I Partridge. There's Nomad. There's Hannigan. Um, there's Swallow. Um, but it is <laughs> it is his first attempt at a novel, isn't it? As far as I can remember. I mean, this wouldn't make a lot of sense if it wasn't. I think. Yeah, he's done radio dramas, mm. isn't he? He's done um, TV scripts. Um, he's done autobiographies. I'm just repeating what yeah. you're saying. Lots of stuff. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. 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 I think and, you're right. And so that would explain why he basically opens this episode with a very heavy-handed demonstration of his love for the written word, <laughs> um, starting with a, the very obvious uh, closing of books, just to have the sound effect, yeah. um, and then what yeah. I can only describe as a torridly sexual description of his love for books oh i mean i, I will say what i i love the way this episode opens with him with the it, so it's like a cold open and then you get the oh hello sorry about that i was just reading it's like but hang on the conceit of this is you're recording this anyway so you haven't surprised yourself with your own recording whilst you're also reading a book i thought that was a lot of fun uh, I also really enjoyed that he says he doesn't like audiobooks, which yes. I just thought, given given <laughs> given the medium, given he's drenched in audible cash <laughs> and all of yeah, that, absolutely to sticking like, it to them. I, yeah. He says uh, he doesn't like audiobooks. He's never liked audiobooks, and he'll only allow them if you're operating heavy machinery or are just plain blind. <laughs> Followed up by the fact that actually blind people have got braille, so he'd prefer that they use that. Wait, no, no, no. It's the, it's the way he says this. It's that br- blind people have been given Braille. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also like the description of that Alan says when he sits into his, his big armchair, lets his mouth fall open and reads a book. <laughs> uh, and, and, and finally, my other favourite quote at the beginning of this is that he just likes to sit down and inhale a deep whiff of book. Well, yeah, yeah s- slipping his nose into the crack of a Bronte or a few good men. Very good surface level gag there. Yeah, it just works. I, I love it. I love that. That's uh, yeah, sort of uh, broken up by the Bronte part. You know, yeah. sort of weakens weakens the punchline of a few good men, but then therefore makes it stronger. I, I was also going to say uh, quickly the 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 opening where he talks about uh, sitting in his fat armchair reading. That's you it. get that a lot in this series. You've got fat armchairs, fat socks, fat candles. There, are, basically everything is fat in Alan's world. It's quite funny. <laughs> Uh, and, and I think as well, when, when we delve more into uh, Alan's uh, burgeoning career as a novelist, I mean, I think, again, across the APU, we've discussed this quite a lot. We know that he's not really a big reader. We know that he's not really into books at all. I mean, whether it's, uh, I mean, was it the thing about the only book he'd, in the early days, the only book he'd ever read was Bravo to Zero, and then him doing things like the book club in Mid-Morning Matters, where he had, was it he's read the wrong book and all that sort of stuff. So he's not the literary man he's making himself out to be, uh, obviously. And from that point, hilarity ensues. Um, a couple of nice uh, linguistic twists here where he just, he refers to an Ottoman poof, which effectively is two words for the same thing. It's like saying chai tea. Um, big swig of soup. The idea that anyone enjoys <laughs> swigging soup, uh, even if it is cream of chicken, which he uh, elaborates. Um, and also saying that poverty is the father of hard work and, and, and revealing that he's relatively skint. And that's the real motivation behind this novel and like a single mum he's having to tighten his belt and that's the only motivation that's basically driven him um to, to books did anyone get a note of uh, some of the things he's had to cut back on uh I've, yes I've... he's he's so poor he's looking at holidays in wales yeah well I, that wasn't what, the one i was thinking based? about 
<laughs> yes, yeah, it's food-based. Um, he's, uh, due to the cost of living crisis, uh, one of the ways he's making savings is by choosing cheaper sausages, uh, which is fine, but one bite in five, you will hit a bit of gristle. <laughs> I would also second this. That one of my childhood memories was going around people's houses and you'd be served sausages for dinner and you would have to play the gristle lottery <laughs> and it would be, would you win, would you lose? And every mouthful was uh, potentially a bit of gristle lurking in there that was i didn't yeah i don't really like a cheaper sausage so you, are you for, basically for the, saying that you reason. went round to friends houses and they were poor that's what you're saying it's well no i actually it's, no, it sounds I, to me I like it was thought... nick living the david gandhi lifestyle and his friends on the mahatma gandhi budget <laughs> there it is but i also a think in the 80s and the 90s um sausages well, were generally beefed out with rusk grizzle rusk. so the sausages actually Ruskin. the sausages actually weren't beefed out with beef they were beefed out with pork but bad bad the cheaper bits of the pig um on on an unrelated (laughs) note uh much like alan over the radio waves to jill in i'm alan partridge i just want to clarify that his bbc contract is terminated we do learn at this point (laughs) he is no longer at the bbc which i think in in real life makes a third series of this time somewhat unlikely i think it's the idea that he's been cut off and would come back feels like a step too far um, to keep things realistic, so I think maybe this time has had its day. It kind of it, it, it that that's kind of in sync with the general two series and out rule of mm, Partridge mm. and the Gibbons as well. So to that end, I wonder if we will have another a third series of Oast. I mean, there's some debate whether there is actually a third series of Oast House or not, but we'll get to that in the last episode. But yeah, I think it's kind of I I think this has been made clear in kind of. Uh, various interviews that have happened since this time finished uh, yeah i think that there's no way that's happening and also all the other partridge projects that get hinted about every time coogan or the gibbons brothers do an interview they're never talking about doing a third series this time so yeah i, I can't i can't see that happening i mean the interesting thing is if you do have uh one-off specials or document or documentary style things that partridge does in future that are on the bbc there is a bit of wrangling to do in terms of well he is then back on the BBC somehow, but you know th- there's a way to get around that because it's not him presenting this time, what have you. But yeah, I mean, it's I don't think it's a surprise that he's no longer on this time or the BBC, uh, based on the things he, the comments he made about BBC management and Julian Fellows, <laughs> the awful Julian Fellows. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what he said about Julian Fellows, but I'm pretty sure he was right. <laughs> uh, there's a bit where he's incredulous at the idea that Alan Titchmarsh writes novels, and I think that's also been the impetus for him to start thinking about his own. It's kind of like, oh, right, literally anyone can do this if Titchmarsh Alan Titchmarsh? It. He looks like a Toby jug. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was brilliant, brilliant and absolutely spot on. As soon as I heard that, I was like, they've absolutely nailed that. <laughs> so, uh, I, and then, then this goes into you've then got him going, Alan Partridge is like, that's you. So, I mean, obviously that's a very deliberate gag, which is, again, quite quite stupid, but definitely made me laugh and it's quite funny. Um, there is a little bit of word mash that happens just before this bit as well when he says a fat tag of bowels. <laughs> yes, so, I got that it, as well. It, yeah, but again, that's quite nice because talking about bowels and him going to the pro- proctologist. So, you know, sometimes uh, these word slips are kind of, kind of Freudian slips almost as well, I think. Mm. Yeah. Question to the group. Did everyone know what a proctologist was? No, but I do now. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't. I didn't know what it was, so I had to Google it. And now, obviously, Alan doesn't explain what a proctologist is. So he's just going to see it. But uh, I did look up the definition of a proctologist, and it says that they are surgeons who diagnose and treat disorders of the rectum 
anus and entire gastrointestinal tract. Easy for me to say. So um, <laughs> Alan has still got bum problems, basically. <laughs> Anal flare. Yep. You think um, that, that was um, <laughs> in Welcome to the Place of My Life when he goes to the hospital to get results? I wonder whether that was a bum problem based because we never get the detail there. <laughs> That's very bum. true. Is is anyone going to take a punt at pronouncing the fictional town? In <laughs> book? I didn't even I didn't even bother writing it down because I couldn't work out what the fuck he was no, saying. Is, I mean, I, I can tell you that Titchmarsh was spending money like a Russian in Harrod, so I do have that written down. <laughs> but I don't have that, no. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty inaudible. It sounds kind of sort of vaguely Scandi. It's kind of got a sort of Scandi feel it's to it. It's supposed to be but, Russian, yeah. isn't it? Or, oh, no. Uh, well, no. I, don't, I don't know. No, actually, no, the, the second novel's Russian, isn't it? So it's, I guess it's just generic Eastern European. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I there. think but to save all of us having to say it or pronounce it, let's drop it in here. Does it have illustrations? Yes. Six in the middle and a map on the opening page of the fictitious village of Schlitzenstein. Still not there a clue. We go. No, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the uh, he's kept the book within three hundred pages. That's a callback, obviously, to the first episode where he thinks yep. that, you know that's that's kind of the optimum book length, or or certainly he's not prepared to read anything longer than that. So yeah. uh, that's why. Um, I did enjoy he's talking about um, mulling over ideas with, for this novel with his pals at the Racket Club. Did anyone else uh, have notes about some of the things they like to discuss when they're all getting together at the Racket Club? Oh well, well, first of all, I think do you have again a. Uh... Uh, kind of word confusion when he says he wants to spit roast with you guys. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm guessing he means spitball. Yeah. Um, but I had down. Uh, they they like to discuss uh, back pain, uh, respective divorces, and have a giggle at the new genders. They do, but I don't you, think that's a complete list. Also, uh, throw in discussing their favourite James Corden carpool karaoke's, and you've got the complete <laughs> the complete set. Oh. Um, I also like the bit where he's uh, <laughs> he talks about the fact that he doesn't make magic with his hands. And it sounds like he's going to go on to, you know, throw some respect to people who, you know, do manual lifting. He's like, I don't make magic with my hands. I'm not Paul Daniels. <laughs> um, I, I, I really like the bit where he says that he's sitting down with all those people uh, and, and explaining the synopsis of the book. And he says, I don't know if I should go away and write it or whether I should stay here and discuss it with you. And they said, Alan, you must go away and write it. <laughs> Can I just chuck in? Yeah, that didn't, that didn't happen, did it, basically? No, no, they're well, saying, no, they're no I think it, they want to get rid of him. They're trying to get, they rid, get rid of him. Okay. But also, as, as, as we've alluded to in previous podcasts, I did have a small stint working at a, uh, a major publisher. And one of the things that I remember the editors telling me is that if you have an, or one of the authors, actually, sorry, if you have an idea for a book is to never, ever sit down and tell people what the synopsis is and tell people what it's about. Because that's basically just like giving people ideas for free and they can just go away and write it before you've had a chance to write it or whatever. But Alan is obviously cock a hoop and puffed up like an owl and wants to show off his uh, his brilliant <laughs> idea, which we'll get into when we can discuss whether it is a brilliant idea or not. Uh, can I just also <laughs> throw in, uh, I think one of my favourite lines in this whole episode is um, when he's talking to his proctologist, uh, Dr. Gordon, about uh, Alan Titchmarsh uh, writing books. <laughs> he says, I looked it up later and bum me sideways. Titchmarsh <laughs> has written novels that have sold by the wheelbarrow load. That really, really made me laugh a lot when I heard that the first time. Um, he cuts into the episode now with a partridge facts section, which is primarily about his beard. So, Alan we- facts. Facts about Alan. 
We know he's got a beard, obviously, from the uh, promo for uh, from the Oast House and from his appearance at Wembley with Coldplay, um, but good to see it explicitly mentioned here. Um, and I like the idea that the impetus for this beard was watching a Greta Gerwig documentary and he decided to rewild his body as a result. Yeah, he mangles that, doesn't he? Greta Grunberg. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah. I, I, have a, I have a question to the group, Not obviously not something you necessarily need to prepare for, but just a general, general sort of thought. Alan with the beard in the promo shots, is Alan looking a bit too cool now? Is he looking yes. a bit like, I don't know, it's it's still kind of sports casual. He's got the he's got like the Arabian scarf, but it's it's just around his neck. It's, he's looking a bit too, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but he's he's not looking as sort of um, he look, he looks fashionably, a bit man- questionably fashionable than he was sort of back in the day. I'd agree. I think he looks a bit man from Del Monte or a little bit budget Bond. Um, yeah, and, and do you think those... this is Coogan just wanting to wear nicer clothes than having to wear a peephole Pringle? <laughs> I don't think what... so. I think they've probably paid close attention to what someone at Alan's age would try and look like. But I do think it's not quite comical enough. Physically, it's it... not comical enough. I mean, it, it does feel like there's a bit of a lineage what he's wearing from uh, what he was wearing in like the Nomad sort of shots. But yeah. I would say, let's mm, save yeah. a bit of a further discussion on that till the wrap-up because collating uh, feedback from our listeners so far that is the thing that has been commented on the most oh really how he okay. looks in the press shots yeah okay save it uh, is it time to uh, get into autumn in berlin and does anyone anyone want to have a crack at uh, the synopsis of this uh, book oh, well, i thought that it's a love square yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, it's a love it's a love square <laughs> and the story makes uh on a, on, a, on a very superficial level, it make it makes sense in as much as it's people falling in love with other people, people they shouldn't be falling in love with. That that part's fine, um, but there's just so many things throughout this. Not least of all people's names that that really raised an eyebrow and was like only Alan's. The mind names are great, actually. The names are great. I mean, not so much the first one, but I did enjoy the fact that Rupert is described as having one Spitfire pilot of the month twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And also that the uh, the lady the lady's known as the owl maker because she turns heads with her chubby bum. <laughs> oh yeah, because she's uh, she's really fit. Yeah, it's her, her uh, steely Germanic beauty, like Audi, like a transgender Nazi. Still saying Nazis as well. Nazi. Yeah, Nazis. Oh, uh, Helga Demicles uh, who smokes really long fags. Uh, yeah. yeah, and she's a and, riddle within an enigma within a man within a woman. Does she have a penis? <laughs> it's okay if it's just for cuddles. And when he, um, like the that. other pilot, Rufus Winter, he calls a psychopath as well. I think actually yeah. no, no, no path. path. Sorry, I'd, psychopath. Was, yeah, so I'll just say a that again. Psychopath. Yeah, and the other pilot, Rufus Winter, he describes him as a psychopath. So again, you've got weird pronunciation going on. Yeah, um, I think you've all missed my favourite thing though. In that's that Erin Hesseltine had to travel all the way to the south of France to get her eczema treated. Something that I'm pretty sure even in wartime could be treated within the UK and was relatively simple to treat. But oh no, the south of France really pioneering the uh, eczema treatment. I've also enjoyed that he describes uh, walking along the La Croisette so that's using the word the twice. The the Croisette. (laughs) One other thing I like in, in, in terms of mangled language in Alan's books is that there's often a metaphor that compares something to something else that doesn't exist so for example he compares something to a constellation of luminous eggs which obviously isn't a thing doesn't happen oh and doesn't he describe lemons as like floating yellow eggs that's it yeah that's it yeah 
Oh, so that is that not two different things? Is that just one? That's thing? the same thing. A right. constellation of luminous eggs. So, uh, chapter one: war, birth, and he describes as Europe as being pregnant with war. Um, um, and Adolf Hitler is the midwife. <laughs> I mean, this is effectively from this point on. This is basically Alan wrote a porno, isn't it? Yeah. Do you yes. remember that? Do you remember there used to be? I, I couldn't find any um, awards for it in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one. But there used to be an award for like bad sex uh, written in yeah. um, mm-hmm. written in fiction. This would, I mean, this would just absolutely romp home, wouldn't it? Well, Pun intended. Tom, we, we can possibly go on to a, a Titchmarsh tangent here because I think there's Ooh. a very deliberate uh, layer to this gag, which is about Alan Titchmarsh. So nice. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, yes. Uh, after going through. Uh, lemons and t- saying even scottish people think bagpipes are shit it's then all about this <laughs> lovemaking scene now uh alan titchmarsh's books it may surprise you to know are actually infamous for their gratuitous lovemaking scenes ah. and he uh, in 1998 alan titchmarsh was awarded the dubious literary prize the bad sex award for his debut novel mr mcgregor and i can read you the winning passage here i don't really want to but i've gone to the effort of putting him yes, in my yes please do brilliant Be- beads of sweat began to appear on Guy's forehead as he became more entangled in the lissom limbs of this human boa constrictor. For fully 15 (laughs) minutes, their mutual passion heightened with groans, sighs and liquid noises. Wow. Sighs. Aside from the liquid noises, the idea that a boa constrictor has limbs is one of my... uh, Another highlight. (laughs) Like a squelch. A squelch. I guess. I mean, it's also... I just think it's hilarious. Like, you know, Mr. Daytime TV, friendly gardener on ITV... And then writing sexy books—it's just not what you'd expect, is it? Um, that's, got... a, that's a great—that's a great uh, second level to that gag that uh, obviously Tom's done the research for, but maybe necessarily wouldn't become apparent to most people because <laughs> I don't know about many of our listeners, but I certainly haven't read any Alan Titchmarsh books. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I did find another uh, Titchmarsh sexy funny story in doing my, this research <laughs> as well. Um, so there was an article entitled Alan Titchmarsh insists he's not a sex guru after web prankster <laughs> sabotages Wikipedia entry. Is this in January 2009. Uh, they, uh, this article says Titchmarsh is the latest victim of Wikipedia hoaxes and he said, I know about the Wikipedia entry. It's full of wrong facts. I do not have a new version of the Karma Sutra being published. I wish I knew how to change Wikipedia to make it correct. Did he actually and- say wrong facts? That's brilliant. <laughs> well, that's, that's quoted, yeah. And then there was a little kind of info box at the bottom of this article called the web of lies uh which then highlighted <laughs> some other wikipedia entries that have been doctored uh humorously and I'd, i'll just give you uh the the two ones i liked one wikipedia entry claimed david beckham was an 18th century chinese goalkeeper <laughs> and and robbie williams was said to make his millions by eating domestic pets in pubs in and around stoke <laughs> lovely the web of lies there um a, cu- a couple of uh, highlights from alan's attempt at erotic literature um just a few phrases that i've uh, i've put down here mm. uh, erotic waffle fabric confetti yep. a quiet oof uh heart mind and genital um <laughs> Swung open the door of her warm, wet home, and oh, my personal yeah. favourite, ground until he groaned. Yeah, yeah, you basically covered off all the good, the good ones. Oh, the only one I had was the, the solid pipe of his manhood. Yeah, or detonated inside of her like a subaquatic de- depth charge. <laughs> I thought it was also quite um, explicit. Um, the sex noises that he gives out while reading this are so loud that we get our first appearance of Rosa in this series, who uh, <laughs> thinks that something's gone horribly wrong. 
Yeah, did, did you, did, have you got down exactly what she says? She says, you okay, Mr. Partridge? Are you hurt? And when he responds, she's like, oh, you're reading your book again. So it's not the first time this has happened. <laughs> That's good. Um, and then we're into uh, a bizarre section of the podcast where Alan just reads out things that he's found, a lost and found section. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think this was very funny because it didn't really seem to have a payoff. And I don't... I, the, I feel the, like this doesn't connect to well, anything else the, the, either. I think the pay. I think the payoff is that he's making sweeping judgments on who he mm, thinks mm, mm. Uh, a person is. I mean that that's the joke, right? Yeah. Um, and and he's making you know some uh, observations around her hair being thin because there's hair in the brush. <laughs> I mean, all women have hair in their brush, and then making you know judgments on her education levels. I think it's basically just an example of Alan being, but, but, you yeah. know, but gross. Don't... But some of it has a kernel of truth in it. And I think that's why it's funny. Because he is generalising. But yeah. there's things like, there is a certain person that has a Harry Potter key ring. Um, and he's, his assumption is that that person's not educated to degree level. That's not for me to say. But <laughs> there are there is a certain adult that wears like a Gryffindor t-shirt. And you know that kind of person I'm <laughs> steady, talking about. Adam, steady, <laughs> You're on thin ice, young man. Adam, you know what? I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just felt like... A lot of the kind of fake advert segments in these episodes feel like often feel like real highlights uh, when you have something like the Bohemian Rhapsody thing or or something like that. And I don't know, just just felt a bit like like I, I get why it's funny, but I just didn't think it was that good in terms of uh, what we get in some of the other episodes. I mean, I guess you could also argue that uh, part uh, layer to this is that he's doing very locally focused segments. Uh, as if he was still doing local radio when obviously he's doing a globally accessible podcast. But again, just I think there's better in this series, that's all. Um, are we now, is he now getting hot fingered by the proctologist, Dr. Gordon? Who? Uh, My goodness, did he have a hot finger. Who didn't like, <laughs> and he didn't like his book. Um, and it's, there's another outing here for Alan's favourite metaphor, trainers in a washing machine as well, which yeah. we get all the time. Uh, I think we get again in this series, in fact, but we'll come on to that. Um, so yeah, yeah. Doctor Gordon had a very hot finger, but the rest of him was lukewarm about Alan's book. Is it time to talk about um, Axel Peacock? <laughs> yes. Um, so Alan's uh, crafting a uh, he basically scrapped that. He's crafting a second novel, September Song. Can I just say this? I laughed a lot yeah. at this. It yeah. all goes a bit yeah. airplane in the kind of like wordplay gags, but I really, really enjoyed them. That's a airplane's <laughs> a great reference for this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because again, like they're kind of. It's quite obvious wordplay and it's quite crass, uh, but it's it's bloody funny, basically. Like. <laughs> yeah, and, and... I, I don't, I don't, I don't think this writing is actually very. I think often their writing is very smart, very very clever. This is actually quite. Um, it's not some of their more cerebral base writing. Humor. However, it's very base humor, but it is very it's, very. It's funny. like they're cutting loose with it, basically, isn't it? Um, yeah, but... I mean, Doctor Longfinger literally had been pieces of my head. Like, yeah. just so good. And the whole running thing about getting, you know, mistaking what the question is. How do you get into that? Yes. How do you access Putin's inner circle? Well, you just part the bum cheeks, etc. Um, but before um, you get uh, him kind of uh, giving a bit of a reading, uh, again, more word mash, which is kind of another Freudian slip. He's, I don't know if you guys spotted this. Uh, Alan says, you've probably fingered out where this is going. I thought that was really <laughs> yeah. fun. Really fun. Yeah, it's so um, good. So and good. when he does the reading, to me... It feels to me like Coogan just slips straight back into Pauline Calf here. It's it's like Pauline Calf reading uh, a book which is also a bit like the Hannigan play from uh, Mid Morning Matters. Basically, if if you if you put those two elements together, mm. that's exactly what you're getting here with uh, Putin's inner circle, uh, his ring of steel, just push harder. Yeah, 
<laughs> and I also love capping it off with, I can't believe all this Putin bum confusion. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the writing uh, group don't seem to like it because there's no um, subtext, uh, which I thought was also good. Um, did anyone get the mid-morning matters uh, reference that he goes on to make at this point? Ah, now, now I think I know where you're going with this, and I actually think it's almost a bit of misdirection. So, you mean when he talks about all the other books that um, that he that he basically is not interested in? Go on, d- develop the argument. Okay, well, so Alan basically goes on to talk about he hates the books that everyone else in the writing group has written, even though obviously the joke is they actually all seem to be quite worthy and move- moving stories. The only one he likes is the one that ends in a firefight. So. On my on my first listen, I was like, "Oh, is Alan riffing on real book, real books, books that are quite famous books we should know?" Um, because I was thinking when he talked about three generations of mothers in Indochina, I thought, "Oh, okay, is that a Wild Swans reference?" Now, is that what you were thinking, Nick? Yes, yeah. that is. So what I, I was think thinking. that's that. I think on a on my third listen, probably I realised that's actually not where this is going. So obviously, these are books the writing group is supposed to have written. He's not talking about just famous uh famous authors oh yeah but i think that that's just that's the joke isn't it i mean he's he's just saying that someone in the writing group has written something about three generations but of, no I, I think it's women. just a bit of misdirection because actually wild swans is about three daughters in china the book he references talks about um three generations of mothers in indochina i i just think it's i think it kind of leads you down that path but i don't think it actually is that maybe so. well it's either it's either intentional misdirection then or it's it's a callback. Well, uh, I don't. Think I would, it's I would also I, I would also say daughters can also be mothers. That yeah, is a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is that is true. No, but I I think it's almost like it, almost like what they've done is I think like the the synopsis of the books he doesn't like are very similar to famous and worthy and notable books, but they aren't exactly that. So again, it's just developing that idea that stories that in essence are worthy are heart wrenching and would be successful. He has no interest in. I, I think that's simply what it is, but I, I don't know. Maybe, may, maybe. Yeah, well, I, I think we're saying this. I think we're saying the same thing, but you're saying it as if we're not. I, I think I agree. Okay, okay. I'm not saying but, but you, that, that is one wild of you swans. is right. talking about three daughters in China, uh, yeah. and the other one's talking about three mothers in Indochina. No, 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 no. no. I'm not saying that. That <laughs> but it is, is the same thing. What the, the wild swans story? All, all I'm saying is, I think that they've they've um, uh, intentionally written it. Right to suggest that it could be. But, okay, uh, yeah. okay. Well, I, I, we're, we're, we're saying the same thing. Speaking of callbacks, intentional or otherwise, I also thought that the him writing a novel that is, you know, initially terrible, Autumn in Berlin, but, but has some redeeming features, then scrapping it after bad feedback, then coming up with something that is clearly worse with the whole Putin fingering story, uh, to the point, and, and hackneyed to the point where Putin says, I've been expecting you, turns around dabbing his face with a napkin with a cat in his lap. It's such a <laughs> such a, a crass Bond ripoff. It reminded yeah. me of the pitching ideas to Tony Hares, where he starts with something that has a, a kernel of merit, and by the end, it's just the worst combination of nonsense that you've ever seen. Uh, and it, it does tend to happen when he gets backed into a corner or when somebody doesn't like his first suggestion, that he just keeps making increasingly bad suggestions. Um, yeah, that, that's good. But and don't... I, I, th- I think as well with, with this, um, you know, the fact that the main character is called Axel Peacock, obviously another AP. So this is him putting himself in a position <laughs> yeah, as Bond again. Um, I, I I just had another quick note on on the September song as well. Um, 
you, you've got all the Pu- the Putin stuff, and one, the fact he goes on calling him things like the piss-hole-eyed premier and your face has become all chubby. I thought, like, Coogan is basically risking the wrath of the Russian Federation at this point. Um, and also the, the fact there are lots of references to, like, Putin on his long table. Again, I think just grounds how recently this has all been written, because that's all stuff we've seen in the news over the last couple of months. Um, and so one of my favourite parts rounding off the episode is that uh, the literary world's loss is LA Fitness's gain um, as <laughs> Alan accepts a nominal fee to become the LA Fitness writer in residence. I, I love this so much because this, the image of Alan sort of wisping into a revolving door into LA Fitness with a little beret and a notebook to sit down and muse on people like grunting and sweating away. Just, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, and I love that the that they would uh, say right this week you've got to write about direct debits and <laughs> yeah. it's Alan's job to pen prose on direct. <laughs> Can debits. you do us a haiku about the resistance machines? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you have a sonnet about orange Lucasade? Ah, <laughs> uh, and on that fizzy bombshell, I think we're at the end of the uh, first episode <laughs> of our look at uh, from the Oast House series two. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week looking at episodes three and four, uh, starting with a stakeout. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with your thoughts on the Oast House or anything AP, uh, on Instagram it's at Monkey Tennis Pod, Twitter at the Partridge Pod, Facebook.com slash the Partridge Pod, the Partridge Pod at gmail.com is our email address, and you can leave a voice note on our hotline 07923 So we will speak to you, hear from you, join you next week for more Oast House fun. But for now, from all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, thanks and goodbye. I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis? Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Dan! Monkey tennis? Little pierce my foot on his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Oh. Monkey tennis? Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmunds is a total wazard of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter in the sun. They said, who the hell is that? <laughs> this is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.